All right, take your Bible and turn with us to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The reason why it says sermon by Pastor Witt and doesn't have a title is because since we've been doing the daily Bible reading, we've had to put like uh, about four or five sermons on the back burner. And sometimes it's hard to figure out which one, which one to share. And uh, so um, I try to be as systematic as possible, but uh, just to let you know, I just uh, I feel that we need to be in uh, looking at Second Corinthians here this morning. All right. So let's pray. Pray that God would bless us, Father. We we pray, Lord, that you'd bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one. I want to look at verses three through uh, eleven. 3 through 11, and we'll pull in some other passages of Scripture that are really important for us. But before we do that, I just want to remind you that um, I have a, I, I wish I could determine what they're going to do on the news. How many wish they could, you could determine what they're going to do on the news? Uh, you, you know, years ago, years ago, they, used, they had this battle. They had this battle that the news was always so bad that they decided to tack onto, if you notice now, and some of the, it's been that way now for years, but uh, they tack on a, uh, a news, uh, a, a good, a positive story at the end of the news report. And I always say, well, that's, that's nice, but that just doesn't cut it. It just doesn't cut it. It might be nice, but when you focus on uh, two or three people who have accidents in, in Pittsburgh, for instance, on the highways, and you don't talk about the 50,000 people that negotiated the roads very well, then I think you're imbalanced, imbalanced. I'll tell you what I'd love to see. I'd love to see us replace the news with reading Scripture. Wouldn't that be cool? We could just read Scripture. Now, Scripture has negative stuff to talk about, but uh, never without the positive, and the positive outweighs the negative. Now, I say that for a reason. Look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffered. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Do you see the balance there? Paul doesn't talk about the negative while they're talking about the positive. In fact, you're going to discover that the Apostle Paul, when he talks about the negative, he always, he doesn't minimize it. He doesn't minimize it. Someone once said that if you do not, uh, you do not understand what's going on in this world, then you're living on a different planet. You know, if it doesn't bother you from time to time, you don't worry about it. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. You're just not thinking straight. So Paul does not minimize the trials. It says, 
they're in tribulation. The sufferings of Christ abound in us, verse 5. And verse 6, we are afflicted. And then he gives us an illustration in verses 8, 9, and 10. Now look at this. Paul is really stressed out here. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now Corinth is not in Asia. Corinth is in Europe. It's across the sea from Asia. We don't want you to be ignorant concerning the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that, we will still, that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Now, that's the passage of Scripture. Now, Paul, let's get some facts out here so that you and I can put this in perspective. The Apostle Paul is the author of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. He is also the author of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Once again, he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. The reason why I share that is because 1 Corinthians should be read before 2 Corinthians is read. Now... The second thing we need to know is not only who wrote 2 Corinthians, but we need to know where the Apostle Paul wrote it, if we can't figure that out. We need to know the circumstances under which Paul wrote this passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to look, and you, if you're already in 2 Corinthians, look across the page to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we'll look at chapter 16, verse 8. I just want to read it to you. I just want to see if you can figure out where the Apostle Paul is when he writes 1 Corinthians. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. Where's Paul when he writes 1 Corinthians? He's in Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia. Corinth is in Europe, right? So... The Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. And when he sends the letter to the church at Corinth, in verse 19, he says, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartedly in the Lord with a church that is in their house. So Apostle Paul sends his letter from Asia. Where on earth does he send Corinthians from? Well, somewhere between Ephesus and Corinth. Somewhere between Ephesus and Corinth. And I would say that it is somewhere between Troas and Corinth. Look at chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul helps narrow it down for us. When he writes to the Corinthians, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Well, 
So now he's in Macedonia, which is the northern province of, above Greece, where Corinth is. And I want to suggest to you that the Apostle Paul is in Macedonia somewhere. We don't know what city. We don't know exactly where he is. But in chapter 7, verse 5, he says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Now, I, 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 I say this to you. Somewhere in Macedonia, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. And we need to know why the, where the Apostle Paul is so that we can understand Paul's stress, so that we can understand what he is dealing with. We already looked at the, at, at, at the Corinthians where we can clearly see that Paul at some point was stressed to the max, worried to the max, in despair even for his very life in chapter 1. So, how does the location help us to understand the Apostle Paul's problem? Well, let me say this to you. While Paul was in Ephesus, he was ministering to the Lord and dealing with horrible circumstances. Now, without getting into the details of the circumstances that Paul was dealing with, I just want to give you one illustration. If we want to know what Paul was doing, we have to go back to the book of Acts. So go back with me to the book of Acts, chapter 19, where at the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry in Ephesus, where he had many bright spots, but there were many challenges as well. Look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 19, verses 21 and following. This is just a very short time before the Apostle Paul had to leave the city of Ephesus. In verse 23, the Bible says, About that time there arose a great commotion around the way. The way is a description of the Christian life. They were called people of the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. He explains it, and so it's much shorter if I just read it to you. In verse 26, Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Now, you can already tell what's going on here. And Demetrius explains it verse, in verse 27 very well. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling in disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent destroy, magnificence destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worship. One of the, one of the uh, wonders of the ancient world was the te temple of Diana, 
in Ephesus. Now, here's the response, and this is typical of the kind of things that the Apostle Paul had to deal with. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples said, No, Paul, you can't go in. We can't allow it. It's too dangerous. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Now, the theater back then is not what you call a movie house. I used to hear my relatives talk about a movie house when I was a kid. It's not even an indoor place where you go and watch films. The theater back in the time of the Roman Empire, and they were all over the place. You had several in Palestine as well as all over the Roman Empire. When I was in the Holy Land in 1974, we flew into Amman, Jordan, across the Jordan River in the country of Jordan. And we're getting ready to visit the Holy Land, but we stay in Jordan for a couple of days so we can go to Petra and we can go to Mount Nebo where Moses was. And, and while we're there, I remember flying in at 2 in the morning into the airport and everything is dark. And we get on our bus and they take us to our hotel in downtown Amman. And in downtown Amman, they drop us off at the front of the hotel, and we go in, and we're assigned our rooms. And I was assigned a room with my roommate in the back of the hotel. And in the morning, I wake up to the bleeding of sheep and the honking of horns, and, and I realize that there are ox carts as well as cars just filling the streets of Amman, the capital city of Jordan. And there in my room are two French doors. And I open those French doors, and not more than about 100 feet from me is this huge Roman theater. It's pretty famous. In fact, it's many, many pictures of the Roman theater. Now, now can you picture the Roman theater? It's outdoors. It's carved into a hillside. It can seat thousands and thousands of people who will listen or watch a dramatic performance that's being done on the stage. That's a Roman theater. So imagine the city of Ephesus, the people getting together, and they're crowding into the theater. And in verse 32, they're crying uh, one thing and another thing, for the assembly was confused, and most of them didn't even know why they had come to get together. And they took Alexander out among the crowd, and, they, and, and Alexander was put forth to try to calm the crowd. And, and when they found out that he was Jewish, of course, and uh, didn't believe in many false gods, they wanted nothing to do with him. And they cried with a loud voice for two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, in verse 34. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, in verse 35, he said, Listen, Listen, we all know that this is a well-established fact and nothing's going to disturb the reality of that for us. And so he says in this passage of Scripture that if you want to do anything, 
the courts are open, verse 38, and do it in a lawful assembly, but you can't riot in the city of Ephesus to do this. And he dismissed the assembly in verse 41. And after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go into Macedonia, where he writes 2 Corinthians, and where he says in chapter 1, verse 8 and following, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. Now, do you see why it's important to understand the background for the Apostle Paul? If you'll look at the tail end of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about a lot of his trials and his sufferings. In chapter 11, verse 23, it says that he was in stripes, what? Above measure. In prisons, what? More frequently. In deaths, what? Often. Are you there? This is in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verse 24. For from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day in the sea. In journeys, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, on and on he goes, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he says, if that were not bad enough, if I didn't have to deal with all those outward troubles, look what I had to deal with on the inside. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. And if you're flipping back, flip back to the passage where we are, you're going to go past chapter 7, where I want to remind you what the Apostle Paul says in verse 5. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. And inside were what? Fears. Paul doesn't minimize it. He doesn't minimize his problems and his trials. And I can understand them better because I understand what Paul just went through in the, in the city of Ephesus. Now, I want to balance. I want you to take a look at this, you know. He, we not only get up in the morning and we go outside and, and we have uh, trials to deal with outside. And uh, those are outward situations. Those are things that happen to us. Then we got, a, we got the trials that happen on the inside. The problems that happen in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls, in our spirits. See. And Paul, I really think that the biggest problem for the Apostle Paul was not these outward things, but it was the care of the churches. Because while Paul was in Ephesus... 
He was always thinking about this Corinthian church. When Paul was in Ephesus, he was always worried about this church. It was always on Paul's mind. If you'll read the book of 1 Corinthians, we will not do that. But if you'll read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll know that it's divided into two sections. First of all, there are people from Chloe's household who come to Corinth, who come to Ephesus, and they share some of the concerns that they have about the church at Corinth. And then when you get into the, in, into the uh, book of Corinthians, you'll discover that there were many issues that the church asked Paul to write about because they were having serious issues. They were living in a society that was very immoral. They came from an immoral background, and they didn't handle well. They were babes in Christ. They weren't growing. They were, they were, they were in constant conflict with one another. They didn't handle immorality in the church very well. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the worst situations that is described, if, if there, it's not bad enough, there's so many in 1 Corinthians that you and I would just be appalled about to hear about today. But one of the worst was when you guys come in for communion, you get together to have communion, some of you guys get drunk at communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so Paul has this church always in mind. Now he evangelized this church on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 18. He wrote a letter that has been lost to that church trying to correct some of the problems. When he's at Ephesus, he writes the first letter to the Corinthians while he's at Ephesus, he writes what we call, he, he takes what we call a painful visit to Corinth. And all of that I can substantiate with the scriptures. It's kind of fun to go through 2 Corinthians and kind of pull out the information that just tracks Paul and what he does in staying in touch with his church at Corinth. But he had this painful visit that didn't go very well. He writes another letter called a sorrowful letter. And then when he leaves Ephesus, he is anxiously waiting for Titus, who he sent to Corinth. He first waits for Titus at Troas, then he waits for Titus at Macedonia, and then during that period of time, he writes 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. So the Apostle Paul, you know, I always, you know, if you think that Living the Christian life is going to keep you from fear and worry and anxiety and care and all of that. And this is not going to happen. It doesn't happen. It didn't happen to the biggest spiritual giant as far as I can see in the New Testament. Or his colleagues, the disciples themselves. So let's look at, uh, let's, let's conclude this now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, <clears throat> Paul says that they were experiencing the sufferings of Christ, were abounding in them, and they were being afflicted. And, and Paul puts this in a great light. He says, all of this is not without purpose. All of this is not without a goal. All of this is not without leading to an end that God wants to bring about. 
And so when the Apostle Paul, who does not minimize the problems that he's facing, but instead compares them, the comparison is never, never, never balanced. The one always outweighs the other. A good example is in chapter 4, verse 16, where he says, We don't lose heart even though our outward man is perishing. We're all getting older. We're all showing our age. We're all not looking forward to the prospects of what happens when we get older. And he says, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, verse 16. For our affliction, does he say our affliction there? No. How does he describe it? He says it's our light affliction. When he compares it, when he compares it with the blessings of God, it's only a light affliction. Old age is only a light affliction. Sickness is only a light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's not forever. It just is for a moment. And it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Because we don't focus on the things that we see and the things that are temporal. We focus on the things that are eternal. When I was in geometry class, the one thing I will never forget, probably learned it in the very first class that we had, was that in geometry, a point represents time. It represents finity. Right? A line represents eternity. Or, in geometry, infinity. And I remember Mr. Hickel, he was our teacher, and he said, listen, when you draw that line, you got to put an arrow on the one side and an arrow on the other side. So that you are constantly reminded that that line does not stop in either direction, ever. Now that doesn't, I, I remember that very first illustration, I remember, oh, there's no comparison between that line and that point. None whatsoever. So, in closing, in closing, what am I supposed to do? Well, number one, what does the Apostle Paul do here? The Apostle Paul says that God is the God of comfort, right? Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. You can look at that in verse 4. You can look at it in verse 5. You can get down to verse 7. In, in all of those cases, God is the one who is the God of all comfort. And so the worst thing I can do is to ignore the God who provides comfort. And Paul says that here. When he talks about his illustration in Asia and talks about the death sentence he had, he says, yes, verse 9, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not, what does he say? Trust in ourselves. But we trust in what? God. And he said, listen, no big deal. God raises the dead. So be it. But he goes on. And he talks about the fact that we need to trust God because not only does he raise the dead, but he delivers and he will still continue to deliver. Sometimes when I 
see the Lord do something dramatic. And a lot of times when I, when I see an answer to prayer, I say, wow, that was pretty dramatic. It's probably going to be a long time before I see another dramatic answer to prayer like that. You ever do that? And then another one comes. I say, wow, Lord, you're not going to stop delivering. Well, <clears throat> listen. For the sake of time, let me just merely say to you, how do you trust God? Well, number one, you, you recognize God as the creator of this universe. So just flood your soul with all of the good news about God and what he did when he created this world. And flood your soul with all of the facts that, that God upholds this universe. He, he governs it. He controls it. Just look at the works of God and just bathe in them. And then recognize that God is our Savior. We abound through Christ. He is our Savior. Life doesn't end at the grave. God does, loves this fallen world. There is a future for those who are trusting Him. These are all facts that we understand because of the good news of the gospel. And you and I should embrace the gospel. And we should bathe our minds in the truths of the gospel. I say all the time, I think all the time, Lord, how, how do you love me? Nothing special about me. I was born like everyone else in sin, and, but, but you care about me. You say, and you have a future for me. And my life is not going to end at the grave. This is what we're supposed to do. And then finally, let me simply say this without working in any more details on that. Read it to yourself and say, okay, finally, the Apostle Paul says, you also help together in prayer for us. You know, I wonder how many times the Apostle Paul was dealing with these life and death issues where he was at a storm at sea or he was dealing with a, uh, with a, a beating or a ride in a city, and there were many of them back in those days. How many times do you think the Apostle Paul says, Lord, I know my brothers and sisters are praying for me. We need to do that. We need to pray for each other and uphold each other. And the Apostle Paul says that if you and I can do that, we can give thanks by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many, the gift of grace granted to us through many. Well, let's do that, brothers and sisters, okay? And um, let's make sure that we take the good and the bad, and when we balance it out, don't ignore the bad, that's okay, but make sure that we put the right value on the good versus the bad, all right? All right, let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of 2 Corinthians. We thank you for the personal information that we have there. 
Lord, you've given us a lot about the Apostle Paul and his personal thoughts and his personal dealings with issues in his life. Father, it's an encouragement to us. And we pray that as we go through this this week in our daily Bible reading, that it will be a great, great, great encouragement to all of us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.